You're listening to Jesus is Everything, the teaching ministry of The Way, Eugene. Happy New Year. It's, it's New Year's. And I don't know how many sermons I've heard throughout my life where the first Sunday after New Year's, the thing that the pastor wanted to do with good intent was start talking about statistics and, and start talking about numbers. Like, okay, hey, raise your hand if you've made a New Year's resolution. That was two days ago. Have you already broken it? And you're like, yes, I already haven't gone to the gym. Or yes, I already ate more calories than I was supposed to, right? Like, Welcome to the club, right? Like that's sort of the typical thing on New Year's. Yeah, the new season, the new adventure. What are we going to do this year that I didn't do last year? How am I going to build upon that? All that kind of thing. And that's great. I I got nothing against New Year's resolutions. I got nothing against trying new things, being adventurous. I'm into that stuff. I'm into uh, trying to improve my life, my mind, my heart, my family. I like all of those things. But one of the things that is so important for us to latch onto in regard to the difference between the way the world, apart from Jesus, looks at things versus the way that you and I as followers of Jesus should be looking at things is the way that the world looks at things is, I want to improve myself. I want to do something better in my life. Therefore, I need to somehow screw up the will or the courage within myself to go attack that thing. And so I need to make lists or I need to sign up for this. I need a personal trainer for this, a personal chef for that, all those kinds of things. By the way, a personal trainer and a personal chef would be great. I'm just saying anybody would want to donate their time on that one. Note, donate their time on that one. I'm in. Like, how great everybody that we look at in the world is just like, oh, yeah, and I get up at this time, and I do that, and I do these other things. And you're like, yeah, and somebody's making your coffee for you and, like, scrambling egg whites for you. Like, good for you. Like, join the rest of the world. Anyway, my point is the difference in how we look at those things in regard to improving ourselves, newness, uh, you know, just, just doing something to, to, to grow all, the, all of that stuff there's one things that you one thing that you and I as Jesus followers have to maintain as our motivation our sort of rudder north star however it is that you see that God works in your life however you identify with that however you think God guides us we have to keep Jesus as the central part of anything in our life that's going to improve Apart from him, the word would say, we can do nothing. Apart from Christ, (laughs) you can try your hardest for as long as you want, and you may appear to have success for a certain amount of time, but truly apart from Christ, you and I cannot accomplish anything. But with Christ, the word says, all things are possible according to God's will. So whatever it is that God has planned for you and whatever he wants in your life, the only way to get there is with Jesus. That's, I mean, I could stop the sermon right now and go, okay, (laughs) there you go. Someone says amen. Yeah, why don't you try that sometime? Just five minutes, give it a go, see what happens. Listen, here's the thing. I want you you to understand something. I I told you to be in the gospel according to Mark chapter one, but mark down for your own reference point, if you will, Hebrews chapter 13, verse eight. Let me read this to you. This is the promise to you and to me 
that with Christ, we have the ability to do the things that God has prepared for us. Just listen to the scripture by itself. Hebrews 13, verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. When we talk about New Year's resolutions, when we talk about changing things, improving things in our life, we're, we're, the, we're the failures, we're the sinners that are just like, good Lord, here we are January 1, I got to do it again. I got to figure something out. This is not working the way that it's been going, right? Like maybe it worked for four months or six months last year, but by June, I was a mess, yeah? And, and maybe the holiday season, right? Like here's the thing. So as teachers, we get two weeks off for Christmas break and all the teachers are like, yeah, two weeks. And we tell the kids all the time, we're looking forward to the break more than you guys are. Like that's, and they can argue all they want, but I guarantee you teachers, amen? Yeah, teachers are looking forward and I don't care if it's high school or little kiddos like Kayla has, like we need the break. But here's the funny thing. After a couple days into the break, we sort of realize that without the schedule of having to get up and go to work and be organized, our life just goes to just pot, just a mess. But without that sort of consistency and schedule and routine, all of a sudden your life just goes like, into a mess. So maybe it's just the last two weeks of 2021 that your life went, something's not right. Here's the cool thing about Jesus. The word says that he never changes. So where we're inconsistent and we fail in our resolutions and fail in the things that we want to grow in and improve in and and do better at, Jesus is the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the consistent one. So if we want a model of consistency in our life, it's not whoever the fitness guru is on Instagram or YouTube. It's not the dietitian who tells you, and here's the steps you need to take, because they're inconsistent in their life. They're not perfect. Jesus, as our guide, as our rudder, as our north star, our lighthouse, however you want to think about it, is the one who's the same all the time. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, it's important for us as we get into this to always understand the context of a scripture, not just take one scripture and go, I'm going to base my entire theology over the fact that Jesus never changes. There's a reason the scripture says that Jesus never changes. Let's take a look at what that is. Hebrews chapter 13, uh, verse one. Let me read the whole context as it leads up to the scripture that says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The author of Hebrews, beginning in chapter 13, would say this, let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can say confidently, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders. Those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same 
yesterday, and today, and forever. We're going to read the rest of that section of scripture at the end when we take communion, but it's sort of an interesting transition or an interesting clause that the author of Hebrews puts in there, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, because what he's talking about up to that point through the first seven verses is a list of things that you and me should be looking at at all times. And if ever there was a time to look at the scripture to say, God, I need some things to improve in my life. Lord, what are the things that I should resolve in the new year? This right here, Hebrews 13, one through seven, that's a pretty darn good list to go, I need to make sure that these things are consistently happening in my life. Let brotherly love continue. Like I'm supposed to be loving towards people and not like judgmental and harsh and rude and mean, right? Like, okay, God, I could probably work on that some this year, right? Like, join the club, right? Uh, don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers. I got my little group and we stay kind of tight because that's all I can handle. Well, the word says that we should be kind to strangers, people that we're not familiar with. We should show hospitality to them and care for them. Can I improve upon that in my life? Yeah, yeah, I need to do that more. Remember those who are in prison. Remember those who are being bodily afflicted, those who are dealing with the trouble of this world. We're all in the same situation. We're all hurting in some way. We're supposed to remember those people that are dealing with those kinds of issues. Let marriage be held in honor. The marriage bed undefiled. God's gonna judge those who are immoral and adulterous. Those who are married or those who are thinking about getting married or preparing to be married. Man, that's a high calling of God. In fact, it's one of his sacraments. It's one of the places that is holy that God unites himself to his people in the same way that a husband and a wife unite themselves. Therefore, that is to be held in honor and respected and worked at in a way that holds God in fear of judgment. Can we all work on our marriages a little bit more this year? Yep, we can. And then he goes on and says, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. Do I need to be a little bit more content? Yeah. Do I complain about money a lot? Yeah but yet God has provided everything that I need and I can say confidently that he's never left me, he's never forsaken me, he's my helper, but I need to say more, I will not fear. What can man do to me? What's the worst that humanity can do? Kill my body? That's, that's probably the worst thing that we can imagine that someone could, could kill me and do away with my life here. Well, the scripture also tells us that don't be worried about man who can kill your body. Be more fearful of God who can cast your eternal soul into darkness out of his presence for eternity. Like that's the one to really be fearful of is, is God, who's the judge of all things. And yet it continues on and says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life, imitate their faith, look to those who are older and more mature, look at how they live out their faith. And then the clause that says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's interesting. There's all these instructions. There's all this, this input into what we could be doing to improve our lives or what we should be held accountable to in God's sight. And then the author says, Jesus Christ. See, because when you and I read a list and when we try and improve ourselves by ourselves, the reality is we're going to fail. We're going to miss something. We're not going to be able to fulfill it. And so the author then points us to the direction whereby we can place our confidence place our trust, and follow the example in such a way that all the things that God has called us to is possible in Christ because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
With that knowledge, we call that pre-teaching. With that knowledge, look at the gospel according to Mark chapter 1. When we look at that list of things from Hebrews 13 and, say, and, and hear the author say, man, these are things that we should be doing. This is stuff that needs to be consistent. You should be fearful of judgment in regard to these things in your life. Boy, to unpack that stuff and go, well, how the heck do I even do that? How do I even accomplish those things? Well, the author of Hebrews gives us that answer. Consider Jesus Christ, who's the same yesterday, today, today and forever. So for us, how important it is to come back to the example of Jesus over and over and over again to look to him and say, he's perfect, his way is perfect, my purpose of creation, like the purpose that God created me for, is to be more like Jesus. Now, caveat, we've been through this. In this life, bound by sin still, sinful flesh, we're not going to get to perfection until eternity. And so while we look at Jesus as the perfection, as the one that we're shooting for, we're heading that direction, there are others in the flesh, John the Baptist, other disciples that we see throughout scripture that are indicators of how we're to pursue Jesus. And so, yes, we look at others as well as encouragement, but Jesus is always the mark. He's always the bullseye. That's what we're shooting for. And so what I want to do is take a look at what we see in Jesus's example here in gospel, according to Mark chapter one, beginning in verse 29, Jesus has just finished teaching in the synagogue. He was there teaching and there was this astonishment of the people how does this person teach with authority? He doesn't have a, a, a rabbinical lineage in the sense of nobody was expecting him to be this knowledgeable teacher. What school did he come from? Who did he study under? How is it that this guy knows all this stuff and has all this insight into the teaching of scripture? And not only his teaching power and authority, but... He has power over unclean spirits. There's a man who's in the synagogue who's demon-possessed. Jesus speaks to him and casts out the demon, and everybody is amazed, and they're saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once, verse 28, at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. So in our text today, we've just come out of this place where Jesus has done this amazing thing this miraculous thing that is like causing him to become known for healing people. So let's take a look at what happens next. Mark chapter one, verse 29. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. 
Track with me to the end. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he, the leper, went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. What we see in the scripture today and what I want us to process through is that Jesus in his earthly ministry and his continuing ministry is a healer. Jesus is a healer. This is important for us to understand and this is, this is actually fundamental in the testimony that you and I have to give about our faith so that the world around us believes in the gospel of salvation. You realize, of course, that the gospel, the good news, is not just that God's in control, that's true, but that's not just the good news, Uh, or that I have this promise of eternal life, that's true as well, but that's not necessarily the good news. The good news about Jesus is that he died for our sins that he was buried, and then he rose again from the grave, thus promising us eternal life. That's the good news. That the sickness that you and I are affected by, infected by, is sin. It's a brokenness. It's a distortion. It is a perversion of what God created in you and me. Fellowship between him and us. That was broken by sin, and now sin manifests itself in so many broken ways in our lives. Broken relationships, broken thought processes, broken expectations. Like, we're broken, but that's what Jesus died on the cross for, was to heal that brokenness. And so for you and for me, why that's important to understand is that that is our testimony to the world around us, that Jesus is real, is that he has or is in the process of healing me. It doesn't always happen all at once like this with the leper, although there are moments in time that God chooses to simply heal us. We were sick, we're not sick anymore. There was something broken and wounded in us, and now it's soothed and peaceful and healed. Jesus is a healer. This is what is important for us to understand in our testimony to the world that we are experiencing healing from Jesus. Let me challenge you with this. Please don't be offended if, if I say it this way. I don't know how else to say it, but please hear me. If you are pursuing Jesus or you are trying to live a life of faith, but you are still experiencing some sort of deep brokenness, some sort of wound in you that isn't being touched, can I challenge you with this to say, perhaps you haven't gone deep enough with Jesus. See, we have this thing where like when when it comes to submitting ourselves to some sort of authority, Right? of which Jesus is the ultimate authority in our lives. He's the one we're going to stand before and be judged by. We have this problem with submission to authority. And if you haven't submitted yourself fully to Jesus and just said, here's my whole life, not just 
here's my brain, or here's my heart, or here's my body. But if you haven't given him yourself fully, there's a good chance that you're not going to experience the fullness of the healing that he wants to give you and show you. And again, like I said, that process may take time, but it's a constant renewal of Jesus, here's my whole life. Nope, I know, I held back my heart from you. I knew everything theologically, but I didn't let you heal my heart. I held on to the anger. I held on to the frustration. I held on to the hurt. I didn't forgive the person I needed to forgive the way that I've been forgiven. See, we have this thing where oftentimes we just flirt with Jesus. We're like, yeah, I kind of like you. I like that one song the guy sings. That makes me feel good, right? We just kind of flirt with Jesus in that sense. But one of the reasons that the author of, of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul, makes the connection between Jesus and his church and the relationship between a husband and a wife is because we're not there just to flirt with each other. We're there to commit ourselves to one another and commit ourselves in a way where we are devoted, we're in, <laughs> thick and thin. That's the intention that God has for us with Jesus, that that relationship is deeper and more committed than anything else we experience. And so just take that for what it is. Please don't be offended by that. But if you're not experiencing the thing that you think Christianity is going to give you or following Jesus is going to give you, perhaps it's because you just haven't submitted to him fully. You haven't gone deep enough. Now, to the point of what we read in the gospel according to Mark, knowing that Jesus is fully God, 100% God, but that Jesus was also fully man, 100% man, but as man, he willingly restrained himself by his flesh. He could, at, at the point of temptation to Satan, have called down legions of angels, right? But he chose to submit himself to the Father's will and, and to do only, Jesus would say, what the Father told him to do. Jesus, as strange as it sounds in that cosmical connection of God and man, the scripture says that Jesus learned obedience. It doesn't mean that he wasn't perfect. It was just that in his human experience, so that he could commiserate with you and me, he submitted himself to the authority of the Father in such a way that he had to learn how to be obedient. In the sense that when God said, Jesus did. That's how that relationship worked. But knowing that and looking at Jesus as the example of the way to accomplish the things that God says is important for us in our life, right? The, the way that we read in Hebrews 13, man, let brotherly love continue. Lord, I hate so many people for so many reasons, and I feel justified in all my reasons. God says, no, let brotherly love continue. How am I supposed to do that? By looking at Jesus and watching how he obeyed the Father. Right? How am I supposed to hold the marriage bed undefiled? I'm tempted by so many things. How is it that I'm supposed to be respectful and even submitted to my wife? It's actually by following Jesus and looking at how he responded to the Father that we find the way to do the things that God called us to do. And so this morning, I want to take a look again at this section of Scripture, and I want to take note of five things that Jesus does that you and I can connect to and use as examples and instruction for us to do everything that God has called us to do. 
I want you to take note here in, in regard to how Jesus heals and how Jesus does what he was called to do by the, by the Father. There's sort of a pattern that emerges very quickly, very, very quickly here. Take note that Jesus began this little, uh, this little scene or this little experience by being in the synagogue. He was in the place of worship. He was in the place of instruction. That's where Jesus began this little interlude. And then it says after that, immediately he left the synagogue, entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Simon's mother-in-law is sick. And immediately he went to her, took her hand, lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. So here's what Jesus does. He heals Simon's, uh, Peter's mother-in-law, right? And, and then at that point after that, that evening, because Jesus is healing, because Jesus has just been in a place where he cast out a demon and, and his fame is going out because he shows that he has authority in teaching but also in healing, right? People just start bringing sick people to him. And he starts just dealing with the diseases. He starts healing people. And, and, and not only healing people, but he continues casting out darkness, casting out demons from people. And here's the beauty of it. He really shows his authority in that at the end of verse 34, he says he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. There's this interesting thing that Jesus does at the beginning of his ministry. He keeps telling people, don't say anything about this yet. He heals someone and goes, not yet. Don't, don't tell anybody. That confuses the heck out of me. That just doesn't register with me because something good happens. We want to do what? Blast it from the mountaintops. From the moment that Jesus turns water into wine, I'd be like his hype man. And I think Peter probably wanted to do this. If it's any indication, I'd be just walking around like, here he is, guys. Like, this is him. John the Baptist already told you, but I'm telling you we're seeing it in front of us. Water to wine, that's all I need to hear. Right? He's healing people. Demons are being cast out. Like, come on. How do you not see that this is the guy? This is the Messiah. Let's get on board with this thing, right? And yet Jesus constantly is just like, no, don't say anything yet. He told his own mother, my time has not come. My day has not come. This isn't, I'm going to be doing what the Father tells me to do, but it's not time yet. There's a, time, there's a day coming, but it's not yet. And he tells the demons, zip it. Why? Because the demons know who he is. The demons understand that he is the chosen one of God. He is the Messiah. He has authority to cast them out. And what would the demons do if he allowed them to speak? They would say things like, hey, don't, don't, don't cast us away, O chosen one of God, right? Let us go into the pigs, <laughs> right? Like the, the demons knew who Jesus was. And it's amazing to me that he constantly tells people, keep it quiet. Nope, nope, don't say anything yet. It's not time. It's, it's an incredible thing to look at. And there is a humility shown to us in that. That as we experience the truth of who Jesus is, and we hear the teaching, just like in the synagogue, there's authority, but then we start seeing examples of healing in our lives, right? And Jesus starts healing things in us. There's this weird tension, I think. Like, like man, we want to we wanna talk about the healing. We want to make a big deal about what happened. But the big deal isn't necessarily what happened. It's who caused it to happen. I don't need to necessarily tell you about every broken part of my life that Jesus has healed. All I have to tell you is that Jesus is the one who healed me. Okay? That's the testimony. Now, to jump into our five points, look at verse 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, 
He departed, went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. If you and I want to do what Jesus did, if we want to be a part of what he has called us to do and be faithful to do the things that God has prepared for us, we need to be like Jesus. Point number one is that Jesus disciplines himself. If you and I want to do the things that God has called us to, we have to discipline ourselves. Anybody who's ever accomplished anything great in the world, whether it be academic success, financial success, uh, athletic success, artistic, whatever the thing is that people who are at the highest level of achievement in our world, when you look at them and watch what they do to get to where they are, they're disciplined. The best of the best are the ones who are disciplined, who hold themselves accountable to the goals that they have, who are organized, all these kinds of things. The fact that Jesus gets up early in the morning shows that he's disciplined. Well, I'm not a morning person. Who the heck is? There are no morning people. You have to discipline yourself to be a morning person, right? Well, I just have a hard time getting up before the light shows in the windows. Go to bed earlier. Simple as that. You need eight hours of sleep, nine hours of sleep, 10 hours of sleep. Train yourself. Well, I, I can't fall asleep that early. Start training yourself to do it. Start waking up at five o'clock in the morning. You will go to bed earlier, period. That's all there is to it. That's how your body works. It will happen, but it requires discipline. For us to do the things that God has called us to do requires discipline. Jesus disciplined himself. Take a look at the next thing that Jesus does here. Rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. There's an implication here, obviously, by the phrase that he prayed, that Jesus spends time with the Father alone. Point number two. For us to do the things that God has called us to, we have to spend time with the Father alone. Coming to church, being with his people, essential. Need to do this as well. But Monday through Saturday, you need to be spending time with the Father by yourself, quietly, away from whatever else the distractions are in your life, and you need to go sit and just be with the Father. Point number two. Point number three, Jesus prays. Jesus prays. I'm the last person that's going to tell you don't worry about studying the Bible. I'm going to be a champion for that because I believe in the power of God's word. But I'm going to add a caveat to that. If you don't spend as much time praying as you do studying the word of God, there's going to be a disconnect you're going to miss out on the application of what we learn in God's word, right? Take note of the first 1,700 years of Christian history. Gutenberg Press was, was invented in 1570-something, right? The ability to, to copy text. Prior to that, the history of Christianity, nobody had Bibles in their houses, Nobody had scrolls that they kept unless they were exceptionally wealthy or connected. How is it that for 1,500 plus years of church history, people learned the word of God or knew the Lord and his ways at all? It was by coming together to the place of learning, the church would, would teach. There would be someone who was learned, who had the scrolls. They would speak out the word to the people. The people would then memorize something. 
They would latch on to a verse. They would latch on to a statement of God. And then the rest of their time, apart from God's people, they would meditate on those things. And they would pray. They would spend time with God and just pray. Speak to him, be quiet, and let him speak to you. Now, we have this beautiful blessing of Bibles coming out of our nose. We got Bibles everywhere. How cool that is that we get God's word. But if all we do is fill ourselves with God's word and knowledge and knowledge and knowledge and we don't sit down quietly and allow that knowledge to travel 18 inches from our head down to our heart, there's gonna be an, an inequality and unbalanced nature to our faith. There are so many people who are knowledgeable in the word of God who don't actually love the unlovely. There are so many people who are, are deep in the study of, of church history and God's word and their academics and all this good stuff. But, but, they have fractured relationships because they're not actually doing the things that God says to do in his word. That can only happen through intimate fellowship and relationship with him. So Jesus disciplines himself, number one. Jesus spends time with the Father, number two. And Jesus prays, number three. If we hope to do anything that God has called us to, we have to do those things. We need to imitate Jesus in those ways. Now, the fourth point here, Take a look at what happens as we continue on. Verse 36 through 38. Simon and those who were with him searched for Jesus, and they found him and said to him, everyone's looking for you. Why is everyone looking for Jesus? Because he's been healing people, miracles, teaching with authority. He's gaining what? Popularity. People start to know who this Jesus is. And then verse 38, Jesus said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Now he's coming from Capernaum, which was one of the larger cities in that area. Here's the thing that we have to look at in Jesus and his example. Jesus goes where there is need, not where it's popular. Take, take that and, and process that for a second. Jesus goes where there's a need, not just where it's popular. Big cities, lots of people, lots of culture, lots of activity, right? It's popular. That's why cities are big. They're, they're popular. That's where everything is. And yet Jesus tells his disciples, yeah, everybody's looking for me. I get it. But my purpose is to go everywhere, even to the smallest of places, and preach this message I, I need to go out in the, the phrase that, that sometimes we use is the highways and the byways. My point is not to just set up shop in the middle of a city where it's easy to broadcast my message. My purpose is to actually go to the places where people need to hear this message of healing. And so they went out and Jesus went out to every little town, every little backwater spot, every little synagogue where there was enough people to gather together and he taught this message. I watched a documentary recently about the history of Christian music starting with the Jesus movement in the late 60s and early 70s. Jesus people, Southern California and the music that was attached to it. And the documentary goes over the development of the Christian music industry and it is an industry at this point. Started as just this sort of working out of people's faith and they were hippies and they had this great music and they didn't know any hymns so they wrote their own songs, which was great. That was awesome. 
But when I call it an industry, it is an industry. The Christian music industry is a multi-billion dollar endeavor. Christian music and country music, which are actually closely related, both produced primarily in Nashville, Tennessee, are the two largest uh, income-earning styles of music in the industry. And when I say industry, everything that you can think of that goes along with that is applicable. Now, I get it. I know people there. I know people who are in it. Their heart's in the right place. But the moment you start adding commerce, money to the situation, it is a dangerous, dangerous game you're playing at that point. To want to be popular, to want to be notable, to have your record sales tracked, to have charts that says this is the number one song versus the number 10 song. Tours, endorsements, fame. There's something about Jesus' example here. Nah, we're not gonna stay in the city. Let's go out to the little places. Let's go out and find the people who actually need healing. There's something of a warning, perhaps even a, a condemnation of monetizing this thing, making this about how popular we can get. If you at all ever wonder about my frequent references to uh, ancient paths, old, old traditions, orthodoxy, that word, those kinds of things, it's because over the years, I've, I've seen the extent of where the church can go to try and be popular, to be bigger, better, more entertaining, and I'll just tell you that with that comes the temptation for a diluting of the message, a lack of focus on what we're called to be and to do. I'm not saying big church is evil and little church is great. I'm not saying that people have the wrong motives when they're at these mega churches. I, I know guys that are in those places as well who are as faithful as you could get. Good teaching, good ministries, all those things, that, that's fine. But there's a warning here and there's something that Jesus shows us and I think it has to do with having a heart for those who actually need healing, actually need to be ministered to one-on-one, -on -one, face to face. Regardless of technological advancements, regardless of culture, Jesus shows us the example that he doesn't just go where it's popular, he goes where there is a need. Now, let's finish this section of scripture. Verse 40 says that a leper came to Jesus, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. First of all, that was the appropriate response to the knowledge of who Jesus is. This leper who is sick, social outcast, wouldn't be touched by anybody. He knelt down before Jesus. Just, just tuck that away for your own devotion. There's an appropriateness to how we approach the Lord. This man kneels down before Jesus and makes his request. If you will, you can make me clean. Full and total faith. Not just belief. I've heard of you. I've heard you can do things. But I'm submitting myself to you. I'm placing my faith in you. That if you want to, I know you can heal me. You can make me clean. And verse 41, moved with pity, or another translation would say compassion. Jesus stretched out his hand, touched him, and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately, the leprosy left him and he was made clean. The fifth thing, the fifth thing that we need to do if we're to imitate Jesus in doing all that God has called us to do is take note of this. 
that Jesus stoops down to see the lowly and the broken. The man knelt down and Jesus acknowledges him and for him to have touched him, he would have had to do what? He would have had to bend down too. He would have had to go low. And this is what Jesus does. He goes low. He sees those who are in need. And he touches the broken. He actually goes to them and, and places his hand upon them. If we want to do the things that God has called us to do, to focus on the things that perhaps we've missed out on or didn't understand fully or just failed to do, man, we need to be like Jesus. We need to go low. We need to be humble. And we need to reach out to those that are broken and actually touch them, actually be with them. You know, the beauty of that is that so much of that is going on. And I love, see, I'm privileged in a way that, that, that the, the role that I, that I have here in, in teaching and being sort of in, in the midst of this is I get to hear about things that maybe not all of you get to hear about. And, and I don't necessarily even want to speak about and promote things that are, that are going on because I want them to be authentic and I don't want them to be promoted for the sake of promotion. But I will say this. I know that even in this room with this small group of people, there are people who are reaching out and ministering to people that are broken. They're reaching out and they're putting their hands on people in the most loving and gracious way. Through the experiences of healing that they've had in their life, their experience with Jesus, they're now reaching out and latching on to someone else and going, you need help? Great, I've been there. I'm here to help. I'm here to pray for you. I'm here to listen. I'm here to cry with you. Whatever the need is, this is what we're called to do and to be as the body of Christ, is to imitate Jesus. And so again, the points that we see in terms of being able to do what Jesus did, Jesus disciplined himself. Guys, we gotta be disciplined. We gotta be in the word. We need to be in fellowship. We need to be obedient to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Jesus spends time with the Father on your own. Spend time with the Father. Let him speak to you. Pray. Jesus prays, number three. Pour out your heart to the Lord. He understands you better than anybody here on earth could. He understands you better than any therapist could. He understands you better than any counselor could. God knows because he created you. Pray. And then like Jesus, go where the need is, not simply where it's popular. Lukian, what's your vision for the church? How are we going to grow? Why don't we have a better kids ministry? How come there's no other musicians? I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. And no, I don't have a plan. I'm just going to stand up and preach the word. I'm going to encourage you guys to pray for each other and be there for each other. And where we can help, we'll help. Jesus goes where there's a need, not where it's popular. And then finally, Jesus stoops down and sees the lowly and he touches the broken. I really do pray that we can be that kind of people that when we know that there's a hurt, we know when someone needs help, that our response is to jump right in and throw our arms around people that need help. I think it's what we've been called to. I think it's what we see in Jesus' example. And I think that is the way that people are going to experience salvation by knowing that Jesus is real through the healing that he brings. Amen.